May the Lord bless you guys and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and give you his peace and open your hearts and open your minds to really comprehend his truth, to really comprehend his word and uh, the beauty of Jesus. So I try to find ways to honor Christ in every message I give because I really believe every message should ultimately point to Jesus. Amen. In every message, we should somehow see our need fulfilled in him. Amen. And we should be challenged to enc and encouraged to follow him and love him with our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. But it's interesting, here in Daniel, you might not think, because you probably heard this story about Daniel in the lion's den over and over again. Some of you went through Sunday school. You probably heard that story, and it's an exciting story. And uh, you know, everybody knows how it ends, so that kind of is like, well, I know where the story's going. But do you know that a lot of people don't see Jesus in this story? Jesus is wall to wall in the story. He's over and over again found in the story. And he's meant to be found here. He's meant to be found here so you will find him, not only here, but you find him in your own circumstances. You'll find that he's available to you. Uh, he's near unto you. A amen, that's what the scriptures say. He's a God that's far because he's, he's high and he's lifted up and he's omniscient and omnipotent and he's holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, amen. He's, the Bible says he's far, but he's near because he's such a big, powerful, wonderful God. He's not only far and high above us as the uncreated. We could never be God because he's the uncreated creator of all things. Can any of us be the uncreated creator of all things? No, only one God, only one could be the uncreated creator of all things. But we are created in the image of God, amen? And we should be very, very thankful. And I want to encourage you now to see Jesus in this story and at first, you'll be like, oh, I think I can see him here. I think I can see him there. But by the time we're done, you're going to see him everywhere. And we love to get into typology. There's all kinds of pictures of Jesus throughout the Old Testament that you don't readily see. But then when you start to see him, you can't unsee him in the Old Testament. But Jesus, I believe, is, comes up in a couple different powerful ways. And I thought that would really help us to be the thankful people that the Lord calls us to be, not just this time of year. He wants us to be thankful all the time. We're supposed to pray, it says, without ceasing. Amen. Supposed to be constantly people of prayer, crying out to him. Amen. If you're, a if you're, you're praying without ceasing, uh, you'll have victory in your life. You notice that Daniel got on his knees, amen? And it says three times a day he prayed that way. And I believe he prayed all, all, all the time, probably. Okay, but three times a day, in the morning and noon and in the evening, he got on his knees and prayed toward Jerusalem. And the Bible says a lot about kneeling. It says he knelt down. Come, let us what? Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. Amen. Kneeling is a very important posture in prayer. You can pray. Jesus said when you stand praying, right? Paul said lift up holy hands in prayer. That's a New Testament command in, in, in 1 Timothy 2, to lift up holy hands when we pray. Amen. So you should be in the habit of lifting up your hands. I don't know about you, but I know sometimes when I'm praying, all of a sudden my mind starts drifting at times. Ever happened to you? And then, but I, when I hold my hands up, I love it, man. Because as soon as my mind, if I'm praying for a little while, my mind starts to drift, guess what my hands will tend to do? I caught, my, caught myself drifting. Lord, you know, I'm getting tired. Boom, you know. It's a very, very powerful way to pray, and it's throughout the scripture. But it's interesting, kneeling down shows a positive humility. And that's how you get victory in your life, on your knees, man. Daniel got victory in the lion's den because he was on his knees outside the lion's den. And 
We're not going to go through all the verses we read last Sunday, but we're going to catch the new verses and pick up just a couple of the last verses I read. But you remember last time we got together, we looked at there was a conspiracy because Daniel was favored by King Darius. You remember there are three deportations from Israel when the Babylonians, the kingdom of Judah specifically, right, the southern kingdom, there were three deportations by the Babylonians because they were under God's judgment, that is Judea, the southern kingdom, because of their rampant idolatry, worshiping Moloch, the god of the underworld of the Babylonians, uh, the, the worshiping Baal, the sky god of the Babylonians, and not keeping God's law, breaking God's law. So they went into captivity, breaking all of his Sabbaths, went into for captivity for 70 years, but the false prophets were saying, no, we're not gonna go through that time, but they went through one, as you remember, in uh, 605, then 597, and then 586. Daniel was in the first deportation because he was among the nobles, a young guy, probably a teenager, okay? Now, it's interesting. He was such a youngster, but he was such a radical man, a young man of God already. He feared and loved God. The Bible says, let no one despise your youth, amen? If you're a young person right here, man, you take a stand for Jesus. You don't go to the left or the right. You, you be serious about your walk, Amen? And he was serious. But what I love about Daniel is you don't find sin in his life. Now, this doesn't mean he was absolutely sinless, obviously. The Bible says all have and come short of the Amen. The Bible says there's none, right? Just no, not one. All have sinned, except for who? The Lord Jesus Christ. But you don't see a mark on his record. Typically, you'll see a mark on, some, on, on a person's record, right? Uh, but he, that's because that's one of the ways he's a picture of Christ. And they're jealous because now, I love Daniel because now he's, he's probably in his late 70s or 80s. What a track record of consistency, amen, of fearing and loving the Lord and refusing to fall. That shows us all that we can have a great track record because too many times you read in the scripture of people falling, it breaks your heart. You read of people falling, you read of ministers falling, and if people are steadfast in the Lord and they seek to the Lord without, and to seek to pray without ceasing, seek to be obedient and simply trust and obey and cry to be filled with the Holy Spirit, they could be, could be consistent in your walk. And maybe you're saying, man, Joe, it's too late. I blew it back, you know, years ago I did this or I blew it in this way. Then I say, when I counsel people, man, hey, this is your opportunity. Ask for forgiveness. Repent of what you've done in the past and make the last chapters of the book that you're writing good. Amen? Make those last chapters beautiful. So people could see and say, this person loved and feared the Lord. This person was kind-hearted. This person walked in the truth. Well, Daniel, man, he has this an amazing, amazing track record of, of walking in righteousness, yet he's exalted. The Bible says, humble yourself, and in due time, God will exalt you. Amen? Humble yourself in the, under the mighty hand of God, and God will exalt you in due time. Well, guess what? He was exalted under King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Saw him come and go. So Belshazzar, the, next, the king after, well, that he served under after that, come and go. And now he's under Darius of the Medes, okay? A Persian a leader, a, Mede, a leader of the Persians and the Medes who, where the empire had taken over the Babylonians, but he's still in Babylon. And when they see that all these people were appointed that we read about last Sunday, about 120 people are appointed to satraps, right? Governors of sort. And then there's three main governors over them underneath Darius the Mede who would later give his authority fully over to Cyrus, the king of Persia. See, the Medes and the Persians were joined together at this point. What's interesting here is when he's under Darius the Mede, 
you see these kings come and go, but Daniel's still standing. And that's a beautiful picture of the eternality of God's kingdom. The kingdoms will come and go, man. God's kingdom is forever. Now, what's interesting here as well is Daniel is going through these crazy trials, and there's some parallels between his buddies. What, what, what were his buddies' names? What were the pagan names that were given to them? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody should know, have their names memorized because of the song we all learned in Sunday school, right? Uh, Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys aren't here to face the lion's den. What happened? The satraps and the other leaders got ticked off. They got jealous. They were envious of Daniel's position because he was one of the top three. And the king wanted to make him second in command to, or I should say Darius, wanted to make him second in command to him. And these guys did not want this foreigner to be leading them. And they were so jealous of him. And they, a lot of these guys were unrighteous. We could see because they're hatching a lie, right? They were liars. They saw Daniel stand out. And they tried to just throw him under the bus. They made up a lie. Well, they, 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 were, they were liars because they said there's no one. Everybody agrees to this plan that whoever does not pray to just you, Darius, and pray to some other foreign god, they should be thrown to the lions, man, and devoured. But, you know, they buttered up Darius, remember? Long live the king, you know, and so forth. That's the old long live the king, you know, trick. Make him feel really good. Flatter him. You're the king. And guess what? King Darius falls into this lie. Satan wanted to be as who? Why did Satan fall? He wanted to be like the most high God, right? That's what's going on here. Uh, well, how did Eve fall, fall? Satan said, you can be as who? God. How did the, how's the Antichrist going to rule the world? How is he deceived? It says in the second Thessalonians chapter two, he'll sit in the temple of God, show himself that he is God. It's always been man's desire to want to be God. But we're not God. We're created in God's image. So right now, they're saying, Darius, that's, we were in this last Sunday. We're here today. It's the part two of chapter six. Went through the first 14 verses. We'll catch, catch the last 14 today. But you got the same situation. It's subtle, but it's going on here. They're flattering him. Darius, nobody could pray to anybody but you. Doesn't that sound good, Darius? Yeah. Got to watch out for flattery, guys. And he falls for it, man. And he loves Daniel. He knows Daniel's a good guy. Doesn't want to see Daniel devoured by the lions. So, but Satan will always or often appeal to your pride to get you to fall. Okay, the Bible says that we ought not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Amen. The Bible says condescend to the man of the lower estate. You know, the Bible says to be patient with those who are weak. Now, the Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. He's ontologically the, the, the most incredible being you can even conceive of. But they try to trap him. And guess what does Daniel do? Does Daniel cave in and say, man, I don't want to be thrown to the lions. I guess I'm not praying anymore. No, he goes right up to his window, as it said was his custom. And he goes toward, points toward Jerusalem because he was praying. Part of the prayer that Daniel, that Daniel would have would be that Jerusalem would be, that God would regather his people, which he would later. That prophecy would be fulfilled to Jeremiah 9. And he'd look toward Jerusalem. And they go, oh, king, he's doing it. And then what do we read? Pick it up at verse 13. Daniel chapter 6, verse 13. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. In other words, he, he tries to make it personal to the king. He pays no attention to you, Darius. 
Verse 14, then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Now the king is like, wait, now I'm in a pickle. He knew Daniel worshiped a different God. The, the Babylonians had taken over other kingdoms and there were people that were worshiping all sorts of different gods that they'd taken over. But now the Medo-Persians have taken over and they want some kind of uh, peace, you know. And he realized he's in a pickle because of putting his John Hancock down, you know, signing on to this. And then verse 15, it says, then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, recognize, O king, that in, uh, it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the Persian law, because it wasn't a monarchy as it was under, Babylon, uh, under King Nebuchadnezzar. It was a constitutional law. And this Darius was subject to the constitutional law that when a law was made, you had to keep it. And there were certain, uh, cult certain people within the Ain communities or the ancient Near Eastern communities where a judge, if he, he made a verdict, he could never reverse it. And that was the, this kind of deal here with the leadership. And they're saying, hey, you're stuck. You've got to obey the law just like us at this point. Verse 16, then the king gave orders and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, your God whom you consistently serve will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. So this king realizes, remember, okay, Daniel's reputation precedes him. Remember what happened under Nebuchadnezzar. Remember what happened under Belshazzar, okay? Daniel's known as this radical man of God who trusts in his God and, and who his God has delivered him. And obviously the king knows a lot of his story or enough of his story to know that he's got a powerful God that delivers him. And he says, I'll leave it up to God. And I'm going, I'll leave it up to your God, Daniel. But then in verse 18, it says, then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting and no entertainment was brought before him and his sleep fled from him. It's sad when pagans sometimes are more devoted to their gods than Christians are devoted to the one true God. When I see Muslims bowing down before Allah, who has no son, okay? The great declaration as the Muslims believe it to be, it's not, is God, Allah is God and he has no son. That's not great. Great is God's so loving the world that he gives his only begotten son that whoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life, Amen. For Islam, it's great when you send your son and a bunch of children to just blow themselves up and kill a bunch of people. God sent his son to die in our place, amen. Now, it's interesting. In fact, you know, speaking of praying and fasting and so forth, let's take a quick moment to pray. That's just on my heart because I wanted to pray for some folks before I even started this message. Father God, we pray for Lenny right now that he come out of his uh, sedated state, Lord. And, and, and be set free from that, Lord, and the ammonia levels would go down, Father, and that he would, he would be, become healthy again. We pray that your will be ultimately done, Lord, but we pray for that, Father. And we pray for Anita, that she continue to recover from COVID, and any of our other brothers and sisters that are uh, struggling 
with COVID or any kind of sickness or ailment. And Father, we pray in your son's name for, for Jim, Father, uh, James, that you would help him, Father, with his situation with his, his liver, Father, and that you would just bring total healing to his life and just bless him and uh, touch him with your spirit, Lord, and bless him and encourage him. And we just pray for all of our brothers and sisters who are going through things, that you'd be strength, strengthen us in the faith. And we pray, Father, that we'd be men and women of prayer and that we'd be like Daniel, Father, that we would get on our face before you and that, we'd, that our walks would outshine that of the pagans who have no walk toward you, the true God, but that we would do for the truth and for you, the one true God, that we'd be more zealous for you than those who are zealous for false gods. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, Daniel's going through some stuff here, right? Now, it's interesting. Some commentators at this point, they'll ask a question, you know, where's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know? How come they're not, you know, in the lion's den right now? And we don't know why, you know. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of an interesting question, though. Uh, and you could ask the same question uh, as to when you go to Daniel 3, when Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego are where? In where? The fire furnace. Where's who? Where's Daniel? And some commentators and preachers will ask the question and they'll say, hey, you know, and, and the moral of the story becomes, you know, don't gripe and say, God, how come I go through trials more than everybody else? And these guys and that guy and that girl doesn't seem to go through many trials compared to what I go through. And that's what Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego might have been thinking. And then all of a sudden, well, look what Daniel's going through later. Or Daniel might be thinking, and then what? Look what they went through. And the moral of that story is, hey, don't worry. Everybody goes through trials. Don't think you're the only one going through trials. Oh, well, I'll go through trials. And I think it's a, it's, it's, you know, it's a good little way to get people to open their eyes that we all go through trials. But I think of it the opposite way. <laughs> I think of it, and I really think we got to get our brain around this because I've learned too much from the scripture that trials are a really, really good thing and that we're supposed to rejoice when we go through trials, right? Because they bring forth patience, right? Endurance and, and godly character and, and God is perfecting us through trials. So I could see people in heaven because those who are going through those junk right now and are faithful to God in the end, the last, they will be first and the first will be last. So I look at it from the perspective, on Judgment Day, there'll be like some radical crowns, man. Radical mansions, right, in heaven, in glory. And it'll be like, Lord, you know, why did this person get all this? Maybe somebody might think. Although it won't be envious, though, because there'll be no envy in heaven, right? It'll be just like, huh, that's interesting they got all that. Right? <laughs> How do you tone that down, right, in heaven, right? But, <laughs> but it might be something along the lines of, man, I wish I would went through more trials, Lord. Lord, why did you put me through more trials on earth? You know what I'm saying? And that's what we want to have. We need to have the heavenly perspective, amen? So I think sometimes when we preach, we get it backwards and we, we, we act like trials are a bad thing and, certain, and we try to sue people. Don't worry, other people are going to go through trials too. When we should be saying, hey, praise God you're going through trials, amen? Because God uses these trials to perfect us. Now, I don't want to be a glutton for punishment. I'm not like one that's like, Lord, put me through the worst thing you have. You know, you know when I was a young Christian, I was kind of like that. And I'm like, bam. Okay, Lord. Okay, you know. He has his hand on the thermostat, though, amen. He lets the fire get only so hot. And, and that hand is nail pierced, amen, because he loves us. It's important to keep that in mind. We have a good God. He's amazing. Now, uh, <laughs> Let's pick it up at verse 19 now. Then the king arose at dawn, at the break of day, of the day, of day and went in haste. He went quickly. At dawn, think of it, early in the morning, he goes quickly to lion's den. 
When he had come near the Dan, to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. Although I believe his was sincere. You know, he wants him to know God. And it looks like Daniel's probably been witnessing to this guy. Verse 22, my God sent, this is what Daniel says, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me. As much as I found innocent, was, uh, I, I was found innocent before him and also toward you. Mm, kind of some shame on the king there, but he's just letting him know the truth. I was found innocent and my God shut their mouths. And I think that's, that's an amazing reality. Now, think, keep in mind, in the, what kind of lions do you think? Do you think they're like just big cats? he's being thrown to? No. no, they're like big cats. I mean, the king had the most radical, ferocious, vicious lions you could get because he's the king. And they didn't have full stomachs when you, you threw people to him. They kept them very hungry. So they just devour you. And when you read the, read the context of the story, these lions, it wasn't because they weren't very hungry and said, oh, ah, he's got too, his clothes too strong. Let's just not eat him, you know? No, they, they, they were hungry, but God had shut their mouths. And it's important to keep that in mind. Now look at verse 22. My God sent his what? Angel. His angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me as much as I was found innocent before him and also toward you. Now I'm tempted. I'm, if we're going through the book of Daniel, we'd be going a bit slower through this chapter. I'm doing the whole chapter in, in two weeks, which is fast for me, right? Unless I'm going through Revelation in an hour and whatever I had recently. But there's an angel there. Isn't that interesting? Do you see a parallel with what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What was going on when they were? Was it by Daniel's strength that, did he, does it say he busted the lions up? Man, he just used some form of, of Israeli kung fu on them, right? No, that's not what happened. God did it. And what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? That was under Nebuchadnezzar because they wouldn't worship his image, which was a picture of the image of the Antichrist, Revelation 13. 60 cubits high, six cubits wide, six instruments mentioned used to worship him and so forth. And it was a picture of not worshiping the Antichrist. And they said no. And they were thrown into the fire. But what did Nebuchadnezzar say? Didn't we throw who, how many in? Three. Didn't we throw three in? And how come I see f what? Four. Four men. And he said that one of them looks like, you know, one of the sons, son of the gods. You know, he's a pagan. Keep in mind, okay? So from his pagan perspective, he sees a fourth one in there, which he says looks like one of the, uh, a son of one of the gods or a son of the gods. So that's kind of interesting. Now, biblically, there was one God, Isaiah 43.10. You guys know Isaiah 43.10? Every Christian should know it. It says, thus saith the Lord, the king of Israel. He says, you're my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be what? After me. Catch that? You're my witness, saith the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me there was what? No God formed, neither shall there be after me. Do you believe that? Do you believe the scripture? Okay, so it's important. Daniel is not just, it's not one of the sons of the gods, okay? It's the, I believe, the son of God, okay? Now, I can't prove from the text, either with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or in the text here regarding this angel, that it is God. But guess what? There's some clues here that are going to be very, very helpful. So I'm going to say to you right now, don't go home and saying, 
For sure, 100%, the person in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the angel that delivered them, uh, Daniel, that was Yahweh, for sure, absolutely, because I can't, I'm not telling you the text says that, absolutely. What I'm saying is there's some interesting clues that point that the one that's in the fire is Yahweh, is the Lord, okay? And I'm going to share some scriptures with you that'll make you think, okay, that I think are quite fascinating. First of all, when you think of here we read there's an angel, right? An angel that shuts the mouths of the lions, right? It's, it wouldn't be a stretch at all the same. Whoever was there with Daniel was there earlier with who? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It makes sense to say that's probably the case. We can't be absolute about that, but probably is. And all we're getting is a perspective of Daniel saying an angel. Now keep in mind, angel can have two different meanings, okay? It can be a messenger, simply a messenger, Right? And when you speak of God's angels, like in the New Testament, the Greek word's angelos, angels, angelos. Uh, the word angel could refer to a mere messenger or it can refer to a created angel when it's created by God as an angel. It has, you know, functions as a guardian angel, for instance, uh, that those that guard the cherubim, guard the tree of life and what have you, and they're around close in proximity to God's throne. Or it can refer to a messenger who is not by nature a created angel. But sometimes we see Jesus in the Old Testament. We see God in what we call theophanies or Christophanies. Where prior to God becoming a man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is heavy. Try to get your brain around this. We're going to grow tonight. We're going to learn a lot. Is you have God coming in the form of a human being several times in the Old Testament. We call them theophanies. Theo is the Greek word for God, theophanies. Uh, Ophany, theophany, appearance, you know, appearance of God. Christophany would be appearance of Christ, okay? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything came to being by Him, that is the Word, and nothing that came to being was came to being but by him. Jesus created everything, it says. That's John 1, 1 through 3. Then verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So before that happens, before God becomes flesh, there's several appearances of this very mysterious character called the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about just any old angel of the Lord. Not that they're old, but they're much older than us. They've been around a lot longer. I'm sure they look better, right? Uh, unless they're the fallen ones. They probably don't look so hot. But we're not talking about angels that serve the Lord. We're talking about the definite article. The angel of the Lord. Like if I say go to a boat, that could be in any boat, right? But if I say go to the boat, I'm speaking of a specific boat, right? So the Bible uses the definite article, the, and the Greek ho, you know, before a word is speaking of a specific thing or a specific one. So you'll see angels throughout the Old Testament, but sometimes you see this mysterious character called the angel of the Lord. And guess what? When you see him over and over again, over and over and over and over and over again, he's identified as Yahweh. As a pre-incarnation, before God becomes flesh in the person of Christ, you see him showing up on the scene, which is really, really heavy. Uh, you see it over and over again. Uh, think of Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, when God appears to Moses in the burning bush. It says in verse 2 of chapter 3, and the angel, definite article, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire. Now, the reason I'm, I'm picking the first two or three is because they have to do, when you see an angel in a fire in the Old Testament, other times besides the one we're looking at Daniel, guess who it is? It's pretty heavy. 
It's the angel of the Lord. I think that's heavy. And that's Yahweh. It's the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord, listen to this, chapter 3, verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Well, look, listen to Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. And who is this angel of the Lord? Who is this mysterious entity? Listen. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not being consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside and see this marvelous sight by the bush is not being burned up. When the Lord saw that, he turned aside to look. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses. God called to him from the what? Midst of the what? Midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Wow. Think about that. Now, Jesus says, they were going to stone him. For what sin do you stone, seek to stone me? Because you claim to be God. It says in John chapter 7, I think around verse 24, that Jesus was making himself equal with God. That's a commentary of the Holy Spirit, making himself equal with God. And in John 8, 58, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I what? I am. I am. Ego Amy. That's not great English, but that's great theology. Okay? Before Abraham was, Ego Amy. I am. And then it says they picked up stones. They picked up rocks, stones to stone him. Well, why would they pick up stones to stone him? They said because he claimed to be God. So it's really heavy when you think about this. So we're seeing him over and over again as the one true God. Now, before Abraham was, I am. How does God reveal himself in the, in the burning bush? Tell him that what? I am that I what? That I am has sent you. Amen. Told him that I am, that I am has sent you. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's identifying himself as the God in the burning bush, who's also called the what? The angel of the Lord. Are you with me? So we see an angel in the fire, in the burning bush. We see an angel, and it's the angel of the Lord. In Exodus 3, we see an angel in the fire in, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or in a divine being. We see, which I believe is God. He's the only ultimate divine being. And then we see that again in with Daniel, an angel there mentioned. Now, guess what? We see another angel in the fire again, in a fire again. And guess who it is? It's the angel of the Lord again. Not just an angel, but the angel of the Lord. Judges 13, 21 through 22. Okay. Now you remember Manoah and his wife. They had this miraculous birth to Samson. Who, Samson was a picture of Christ. Amen. So in Judges 13.20, it says, And when the flame went up toward heaven, this is Manoah, is tripping out. When the flame, a flame, there's a fire again, went up toward heaven from the altar. The angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah Noah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground. Who? The angel of the Lord went up in this flame. 
I think it's interesting that when you see the angel of the Lord, you see him in fire. And fire doesn't hurt him. Well, who is this angel of the Lord? We go to Judges chapter 13, 21, 22, the very next two verses. And we read, now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, we will surely die for we have seen God. There it is again. Huh. So the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnation of the Lord God, pre-incarnation of Christ. Before he actually, now he, become, he appears in the form of a man, but he's not the God-man yet. Not until he's born of a virgin, amen, amen. and partakes of human flesh. Uh, as he's son of God and he's the son of man. But he takes the appearance of a man, a theophany. Now I just think this is all fascinating. Now we see this a couple times and we, we also see the angel of the Lord encamps with them as they go through the wilderness and he's in the pillar of fire that follows them as well. Interesting, there it is again. So over and over again, when you see the angel of the Lord, you see him in fire, it's kind of interesting. It would be kind of breaking that pattern to all of a sudden see Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and that's not the angel of the Lord, it's just somebody, some other dude. Well, it can't just be some other dude, he'd just be fried, right? So it's interesting to me. Now, it gets even more fascinating because Manoah first mistakes him as a man. He, said, he talks about the man he talked to. And then he realizes it's the angel of the Lord. I think Nebuchadnezzar made the same mistake. He thought he just saw a man in there with him like, this man's pretty awesome. He must be the son of the gods, you know. But he's seeing the angel of the Lord just as Manoah uh, had been uh, mistaken. Now, are you still with me? In Genesis chapter 16, verse 17. Remember Hagar? Remember she was put out of Abraham's tent, right? She, you know, she was used as a surrogate mother to give children to uh, Abraham. And uh, then, she, you know, her child Ishmael began to grow and he wasn't the child of the promise. And finally God opened Sarah's womb when she was 90. And Hagar and Ishmael persecuted Isaac, which is a picture of the law, as Paul says, in the persecution of those who trust in Messiah. And there's a lot going on there which we don't have time to really get into. But it's interesting that when Hagar was put out and she's crying, it says in verse 17, the angel of the Lord found her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. And in 16, 9 and 10, listen to what we read. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will increase your descendants so much as they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord says that. I will increase your descendants uh, so much that they will be too many to count. Now, that's pretty heavy because that's something God says when you read Genesis. Amen. But then it's very clearly God because then when you get to chapter 16, verse 13, it says, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. And by the way, the, the name of the, by the way, it's Yahweh right there in the Hebrew. Okay. That's in chapter 16, verse 13. Then she called the name of the Yahweh who spoke to her. You are a God who sees me. For she said, have I even seen him here and lived after he saw me? Come on, guys. The angel of the Lord is who? Yahweh, okay? Genesis chapter 31, verse 11 through 13. Here we have the angel of the Lord saying, I am the God of Bethel, okay? It says, then the angel, uh, then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, now arise your eyes and uh, now, uh, now raise, I'm sorry, raise your eyes and see that all that the male goats and, or that are mating and striped, speckled and mottled, uh, for I have seen everything 
that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. This is the angel of the Lord. Then the angel of the Lord, it says, the angel of God. I am the God of Bethel. When you have anointed a memorial stone where you made a vow to me, now arise, leave this land and return to the land of your birth. Over and over again. Let me give you just one more example. Zechariah 12, 8 talks about how God's people will rise up, the, the, the Jews in the last days when he protects them uh, from the scourge of the Antichrist and, and, and the, uh, the nations that assemble together with Antichrist. And it says, they shall be like a God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. Just equates the angel of the Lord with God there. That's at the end there of Zechariah chapter 12, verse 8. Isn't that fascinating? Now, uh, what I find even more fascinating, or just as fascinating, that just kind of augments kind of what I'm saying here, is guess when you stop seeing the angel of the Lord mentioned? This mysterious figure, the angel of the Lord. When do you think, we're seeing him all the way into Zechariah, guys, right? When do you stop seeing his appearances? Anybody know? The New Testament, when Jesus shows up, woo, good job, you guys, which makes a lot of sense. Why? Because instead of just taking bodies on, good students you guys are, instead of just taking bodies on, God becomes a man forever and ever, which to me, his death blows me away, his resurrection blows me away, but I'm also blown away by the fact that he's still a man. I can't wait. I've already been working on a Christmas message, so I'm going to talk about the incarnation. It just blows me away. He's still a man, Okay. And uh, he subjected himself. And when you realize how low we are compared to God, he's still God, okay? He never ceased being God, but he's also the God-man. Now, it's interesting. I will say with a statement that I made might be somewhat controversial in regard to me saying you don't see him on the scene after that. After Jesus, God becomes a man, the word becomes flesh. Because some will point to Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, where it speaks of the angel of the Lord with a definite article. But, well, wait, but that's this angel Lord appearing to Joseph about Mary giving birth to Messiah. But that's in verse 24. But the context is this. In verse 20, a few verses before that, it talks about how an angel appeared to her. And then when it says the angel, it's referring to the angel that appeared to her. It's not a title, the angel of the Lord. You see what I'm saying? Okay, if I said a man just came in, right? And it's just a man, a man just came in. And then a few minutes, a, a, few sec a couple sentences later, yeah, the man over there. I don't mean he's the man, I just said the man that I just was referring to. Do you, you follow me? So that, that argument fails. And there's one other example people try to use to say, oh, the angel of the Lord in Matthew chapter 28, verse two. Okay, it says, uh, behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for... Now, the King James says, the angel of the Lord. Okay, I checked an interlinear, which gives you a translation of the Greek, uh, the English from the Greek, and there's no the there. There's no definite article, ha, or ho. In fact, it's just an angel of the Lord. The King James got it wrong by adding a uh, the there. It's just an angel of the Lord. I'm, I'm quoting the NASB here, New Numeric Standard, which most of us use here. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. An angel. All the angels that are good angels are angels of the Lord, right? But there's the angel of the Lord who is the angel of the Lord who is identified over and over again as God, as Yahweh. And so when I see a fourth person in the fire, 
with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And I see an angel a little bit later shutting the mouth, right? It doesn't identify them specifically, but if you trace through the Old Testament, you say, what's the pattern of what kind of angel is in the fire over and over again, delivering and, or doing wonderful things? It's the angel of the Lord. Who's the angel of the Lord? Jesus, Jesus or Yahweh. Amen. Amen. Even a child could grasp these things. Praise the Lord. Now, are you with me still? Okay. Now, there's great commentators and scholars that will disagree and say, oh, I don't know who it is. We don't really know who it is. And that's the safe way to go about it. But I think there's enough evidence to say I at least lean toward. I don't say 100%, but I lean toward very strongly. That's the Lord in the fire and in the lion's den. And I think it gets even more awesome as we continue because we're seeing Jesus a lot already in this study. And I want to encourage you guys to give thanks, man. Because you're going to go through the fire. Amen? We're going to go through fiery trials. Not literally be thrown into a fire, most likely, but that could happen too. And it's important to know that you are not alone. Amen? The Lord said, I'll never leave you, nor what? Forsake you. Jesus said, lo, I'm with you. How often? Always, even to the end of the age. Not always, even to the beginning of the tribulation period. No, always, even unto the end of the age, amen? And I'll never leave you or forsake you. And no one can snatch us out of his hand, amen? And he's greater than all. Neither height, nor depth, principle, or power, nor the creative thing, think is separate from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, okay? If you're trusting Jesus, you're secure in Christ, okay? Now, it's interesting. I love Isaiah 43. Listen to this, verses one and two. But now, thus says the Lord your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. Do not what? Fear. Did Daniel have a lot of fear? Were his knees knocking together? No. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. He's already saved you. I have called you by name. You are mine. We belong to him just like they did. Verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire... You will not be scorched, for nor will flame burn you. I love that, man. Amen? He protects us. It's like, but wait, wait a minute, Joe. Didn't like Polycarp, you know, and didn't certain saints just get burned at the stake and Christians killed and can't we be torched in the fire? Oh, absolutely. Okay? In fact, you know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said? They didn't say God will deliver us. They said he is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't deliver us, we still will not deny his name. It's in chapter 3. Because sometimes God lets us get martyred, amen? But wait, I thought he's going to be with us through the fire. He is. He will. How does that work? Well, listen to this. I love Luke 21. Jesus is talking about the end times. But you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, other relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all people because of my name. Wow. They'll put some of you to death. You'll be hated by everyone. And yet, not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls or your lives. They're going to put some of you to death, but those they put to death, you will not what? Not one hair on your head will what? Perish. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? So what's he saying there? That you're going to go through the fire. You could be 
burned up physically. Jesus said, fear God, amen? Don't fear man, he said, who could destroy the body, but fear God who could destroy your body and your soul in hell. Pfft, words of Jesus, amen? amen? In other words, guess what? <laughs> yeah, they could destroy our body, but God can raise the body. That's an easy thing for God to do is raise your body up. Like I say, if you can get past the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything else is easy from there. If he can create the heavens and the earth, which he did, it's all around, the evidence is there, right? He could deliver you, right? By the way, good to see you, Mark and Janine. Seeing you guys over there. Love you guys. Praise God. They're moving everywhere back and forth and everything, so <laughs> good to see you guys. You guys look like you're holding up pretty good. Praise God. <laughs> uh, Lord's good, amen? So, you know, uh, so my point is this, guys. Yeah, you could die, but not one hair on your head will perish. Isn't that awesome? He sees the little sparrows fall to the ground, but he cares for them. Now let's pick it up at verse 22. My God sent his angel that shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The king then gave orders. And by the way, let me say this too. There's gonna, sometimes God will let you just, you know, die, but then to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord, which Paul says is very much better. It's actually, you're in a better spot. You've got to think of it spiritually, right? But guess what? Sometimes he'll deliver you. Sometimes you go to prison and you'll have a, for the faith and you'll have a criticism ministry for the rest of your life. I didn't know. I was praying, Lord, to be a to minister to those in prison, I don't know if I was going to go there, right? And that's happened to a lot of people. And sometimes, like Paul and Silas, at the midnight hour, man, right? You'll be worshiping God and the doors will just open up, amen? We just let God be true, amen? And just trust him and obey him, amen? amen. And so he pulls Daniel up out of the, the den, right? The, the lion's den. Verse 24, the king gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and they cast them, their children and their wives into the lion's den. Wow. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Don't tell me these lions weren't hungry. They were really hungry. They're probably like, man, we can't eat this guy. You know, he looks good. And it's like maybe he was, you know, just wetting their appetites and they're drooling. And then, man, before these guys even at the bottom, they're catching them on the way down. It's crushing their bones. They're so hungry. The dads, the evil dads, you know, dads, don't be evil. Hurt your wives. Hurt your kids often. Amen? And by the way, this wasn't God's order. This is what, you know, this is what Darius did. Okay? This is what the king did. He was ticked off. It reminds me of what happened. Remember we talked about Haman just briefly last message and how uh, he was trying to kill Mordecai because he was jealous. Again, there was envy going on just like here and it was moving him to incredible evil. And he hung on the gallows that he had planned to kill Esther's uncle Mordecai with and Haman swung on those. But you know what we read in Esther 9.14? And the king commanded it to be done and the decree was given at Shushan and they hanged Haman's ten sons. There's a, there's a lesson here, guys. Now, the lesson isn't that God punishes your children because of your sin, okay? God's word is very clear that God doesn't do that. Uh, he doesn't say, you know, Joe, you blew it over here, so I'm going to just you make your son Josiah. I'm going to take it out on him. You know, that's not just, that's not God. In fact, we read in Ezekiel 18:20, the one who sins, the one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. 
the righteousness of the righteous will be recredited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. So God doesn't punish our kids. I'm going to punish your kid because of what you did, okay? But guess what? That doesn't mean, okay, uh, that doesn't mean that children, uh, that doesn't mean that, uh, that each person will not, you know, each person will, as I said, answer for their own sins. But it doesn't mean that children will not suffer because of your sins. If, there's, if you're drunk, your children will get suffer because of your drunkenness. Not be punished by God, but because of your drunkenness. If you're an unloving mom or dad and you are mean-spirited to your kids, well, your sin is going to affect them. And that's not a good thing, okay? So we have to understand that uh, there, there's a direct effect that our sin could have on our kids, okay? It's been said that parents spend 20 years or 25 years working really hard, you know, uh, trying their hardest uh, to, to be good parents. But then they spend the next 40 or more years apologizing for ways they've blown it, you know. And each of us as parents should seek to minimize the apologizing you have to do. You want to be the best parents you could be, amen. You want to say, God, help me be a great parent. Help me bring my children up in the Lord. Help me be a great example to them. And help me understand that when I blow it in my life, that I'm going to affect my children, okay? I praise God. I mean, I love my children. They're not perfect, but mm, they can be close, I guess, because I'm a biased dad. No, they're not perfect, but I, I love my kids. But guess what? If I was an adulterer and a drunkard and a, and a meth addict and a coke addict and lazy, and do and you think it'll affect them differently than where they're at now? Big time. My wife's shaking her head. She's trying like, I'd kill you. No, hopefully she, wouldn't, hopefully she wouldn't kill me, but, you know, if she'd pray for me, I'd repent. But God forbid, uh, how you are is we're going to affect your children big time, okay? So you want to make sure you're living a godly life, amen? Because, you know, a, a Christian man could say, oh, you know what? I'm just going to have some little sex on the side apart from my wife. That's going to radically affect his kids, okay? And his relationship with his wife, and it can likely ruin his family and ruin his ministry. If you're a Christian, you have a ministry. Every one of us has a ministry. We're all called ministers of reconciliation. That could really hurt you. Or a man could trade in the time that he's supposed to spend with his family and giving his family time, his wife time, for pleasure or business pursuits so he could be more successful. And it can cost him his wife. It costs him his, his, his family life, man. So we got to be serious about putting God first, amen, loving the Lord our God with the whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and loving our families, and loving our, our wives, and, and, or the wife could say, hey, you know what, I'm just going to be a gossip, man, because she's full of envy or whatever, and jealousy, or just angry at God, or angry at people, and, and then she just, you know, the Bible talks about how a woman could tear her own house down by, with her own hands, okay, don't do that, sisters, man, be strong, and be, be, be discreet in the Lord, and and uh, be circumspect, you know, walk the straight and narrow and bear fruit in your children's lives. Because a lot of times people have no control these days. People are out of control today. Okay? They lack patience. Love is patient. Husbands, are you glad Jesus was patient with you guys? We be patient with our wives. And wives need to be patient with their husbands. I was reading a story today, a headline. Tennessee man upset over pizza weight. Threatens Little Caesars employees with AK-47. A Tennessee man is in custody for allegedly pointing a rifle at employees uh, of a pizza shop when he was told he had to wait for 10 minutes for his order to be ready. Can you imagine your kids working at a, you know, Little Caesars? And a 
guy says he's got to wait 10 more minutes, and they pull out an AK-47 and threatens to blow their brains. Knox County Sheriff uh, Office confirmed Charles uh, Dottie Jr., 63, is in uh, Knox County Jail. Employees at the uh, Cedar Bluff Little Caesars reported that uh, Dottie Jr. held them at, at gunpoint with an AK-47 when told his pepperoni pie wasn't hot and ready yet. Okay, he lost his patience. He became angry when he was told he had to wait. So then he started pointing the AK-47, demanding free breadsticks, you know. And of course, now he's stealing. So lack of patience leads to anger, leads to threatening people's lives, leads to stealing breadsticks. I mean, come on, guys. Uh, we could do better than that. The world's getting crazier and crazier all the time. How about this guy that just ran over a ton of people, you know, killed six or more, uh, I say or more because some are still critical apparently and injured over 50. This world's getting nuts, man. And the Bible talks about how we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're supposed to control our spirits, amen? We're supposed to have self-control. You can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 25. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were, in, uh, who were living in the land, May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. Wow. That's heavy. For he is a living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers the rescues and performs signs and wonders in the heaven and on earth, who, was, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I think there's interesting parallels here that blow me away to Jesus with Daniel. One right here, this just popped out at me uh, earlier th this evening because I've seen a lot of the pictures and types of Daniel that are pictures of Jesus in typology. But I hadn't seen this one. And I was just reading through the text. I thought I'm going to read through text again and just get more acquainted with the text before I preach it. And it hit me. I'm like, wow, what did Pilate do on Jesus' cross? He published that he's the king of the Jews in, in what? How many languages? Three, the three main languages. King of the Jews. They said, no, don't put king of the Jews. Put that he said he's king of the Jews. He goes, what I've written, I've written. And why I think this is heavy is because Pilate or Darius was a picture of Pilate. You're going to see. That's what's heavy about this. And Daniel is a picture of Jesus. It's really heavy. And I, I mentioned in my Sunday message that we'll get into a little bit of typology. We've already been seeing Jesus in the story, amen? He's in the lion's den there, I believe, okay? He's in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's with you when you face the lion of darkness. He's in your fiery trials. He's with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, Daniel was a righteous man, amen? Chapter 22, he said, I was innocent, and I've committed no crime. Guess what? Jesus was found innocent and was without sin. Amen? Amen. Now follow, go to Daniel chapter 6 and just look at some verses with me and we'll see some parallels. Daniel chapter 6, verse 6. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. Right? And what were they doing? Okay? The satraps were conspiring against Daniel, as the text says. They conspired to get him in trouble. Well, what did the Jewish leaders do with Jesus? Oh, Bob, you don't want to miss this part. Make sure you hear this, man. <laughs> Check it out. Matthew, if you really got to go, you got to go there, bro. I know how it goes. 
Matthew 26, verses 3 and 4. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Sound familiar? Amen? The Babylonian conspirators found what? Found no fault in Daniel. Chapter 6, verse 4. Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to, find, uh, trying to find a ground for accusation against Daniel in regard to the government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption as much as he was faithful and no negligence of corruption was to be found in him. Well, guess what? The religious leaders, guess what? They couldn't find any fault in Jesus. Mark chapter 14, verse 55. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any Wow. Daniel was convicted of a crime on the basis of deception. Isn't that right? Jesus was convicted of a crime that he didn't commit on the basis of deception, saying that he said he destroyed this temple three days, all rise it up. They left out that part, spoke of the temple of his body, and they said he said he was going to destroy the temple, okay, based on deception. Daniel was found guilty of transgressing a new law. Remember, they made a new law of the Medes and the Persians that you have to pray to, you know, Darius for 30 days and no other God, right? Jesus was found guilty of transgressing a new law of the Jews, okay? John 19, 7, the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Where does it say that in the law of Moses, you know? Uh, Darius unsuccessfully tried to save Daniel. Remember that? We read that. He tried to save him, but it just all, it's been all day and evening trying to save him, but he couldn't break his own law right there. Daniel 6, 14. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Doesn't that sound familiar? What was Pilate trying to do, right? He was trying to find a way out. You guys, when you start to ever doubt the text, don't doubt the text. The typologies are too rich, too powerful, too, too just inscrutable. I mean, they're just mind-blowing pictures of Jesus over and over and over and over again. Okay, it's not an accident. It's the hand of the living God. So Pilate was trying to, you remember, he, he even, well, let me read Matthew chapter 27, verse 24. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a, a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. Remember, he even had Barnabas he took Barnabas and said, you want him? Or they thought he'll take, they'll take Jesus over Barnabas. No, we want Barnabas. We want to crucify Jesus, right? Then he has Jesus whipped extra radically. I mean, beyond what you're supposed to whip a, a supposed criminal. And just shows him to them, thinking they're going to have mercy on him. Now, they wanted more blood, okay? Pilate's wife even had a dream. Don't touch the man, for he is innocent. Do you remember that? So Daniel trusted God, right? It says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 23, then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up to the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury, whatever, was found on him because he had trusted in his God. What did Jesus do when he went to the cross? Trusted in the Father, amen. Hebrews 5, 7 says, in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. 1 Peter 2.23 says, And while being reviled, he, that is Jesus, did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Sound familiar? Total parallels, man. Daniel was cast into a pit. 
Daniel chapter 6, verse 16. That the king gave orders and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. Jesus' body was laid in a tomb. Amen. Daniel's pit was covered with a stone. Daniel chapter 16, verse 17a. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den. What happened to Jesus' tomb? Matthew 27, 60. And laid it and in it, he laid it, his body was laid in a new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock, which the owner of the tomb had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. Daniel's tomb, or I should say the pit, was sealed by the governing leadership. Daniel chapter 16, verse 17b. And the king sealed it, Darius, with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Wow. Listen to Matthew chapter 27, verse 66. And they went and made the grave secure. Jesus' grave, the pit where he was buried. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. Wow. It's a picture of Jesus' resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection. In fact, Darius found Daniel alive. Guess when? Early in the morning. Sound familiar, guys? Come on, you can't make this stuff up. It's crazy. Can I hear a hallelujah? Praise the Lord. Amen. God is good, man. This is rich stuff. Uh, the king arose at dawn. I love that. I'm like, it just becomes ridiculous after a while. The king rose at dawn. I, of course, he rose at dawn. Of course, it was dawn, just like Mary, just like the, the ladies rose at dawn. Okay? The king rose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. Verse 23, that's 619, 623 says, Then the king was very pleased and gave orders to Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. Now it's interesting, Mark 16, 2, very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had arisen. Okay? Now I think it's interesting, not only did this both happen early in the morning, but guess what? Daniel was taken what? Up out of the den. He was raised, right? Darius, the king, rose him. That's a picture. Because guess who else was raised? In the morning, right? Chapter 16 of Mark, verses 5 and 6. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe. And they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus of the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen and is not here. Behold, here is the place where they had laid him. He's risen, okay? Daniel prospered after his typological resurrection. Daniel chapter 6, verse 28, the last verse we read in the book of Daniel, chapter 6. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Jesus ha, enjoyed incredible success. Amen. After his resurrection, he said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Amen. Amen. Get your brain around this, man. It's heavy. Now think about it. There's some differences, though, too. Daniel didn't die, though, did he? Daniel wasn't absolutely perfect. Jesus was. Daniel didn't die. Jesus did. Daniel didn't die for our sins. Jesus did. Daniel didn't literally rise from the dead. He did figuratively as a picture. Jesus literally rose from the dead. Amen. Daniel had power with Darius, and then later he had power with Cyrus. But Jesus says what? The Bible says of Jesus, he's given the name that is above every name. Amen. That the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. What an awesome God we have. Now, also, the angel of the Lord shut the mouth of the lions, right? Guess what? Jesus shuts the mouth of the lion who's called the accuser of the brethren. 
The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, resist the devil, amen, for he goes about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, amen. And that's key to our victory as Christians, to get victory over Satan. So we have this roaring lion who is the accuser of the brethren, who accuses you day and night before the Father in heaven. The only way that his mouth could be shut up, because guess what? His accusations, for the most part, against you and me are true. Oh, he'll twist things for sure. But if he says we're sinners and we deserve to die and we deserve hell, he's right. But guess what? 1 John 2, 1 and 2, my little children, I've written these things to you that you may not sin. But if any of you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The advocate word there, the word advocate is defense lawyer. We have Jesus, the defense lawyer, at the right hand of the Father. Amen. Satan goes up to the heavens and he accuses us day and night. Goes back to the earth, roars like a lion trying to devour us. Just like he accused Job and went to try to deceive him and get him to curse God and die. And guess what? If not for our defense lawyer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who always or ever lives to make intercession for us and prays for us, amen, to preserve our souls and has the wounds to prove that he paid for our sins, his roar in God's ear is not even a purr because of Jesus' precious blood, amen? So it's just amazing to me that in Revelation 12.10, in the middle of the tribulation period, it says this, that I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He accuses them before God day and night. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is thrown down and no longer able to accuse us day and night. He shuts the mouth of the roaring lion. Amen? Amen. Is God's word heavy? This is not your typical Daniel Lion's Den message. It's filled with Jesus. Learn to say, where is Jesus in the text? He's everywhere. He explodes off the pages when you put the scriptures together. And you know what? He does give us victory, but you have a part. You have to have faith. Amen? Uh, Revelation 12, 11, the very next verse. And they, that is believers, overcame him, that is the devil, because of the blood of the lamb. That's the ground of our victory. That's how we, we have victory is through what he did on the cross. And, they be, and, because, and because of the word of their testimony, meaning you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen. And they did not love their life even when faced with death, meaning you continued to have faith. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, he says that we're kept by the power of God. We're kept by God's power through what? Through faith. Okay, and then what did he say? A little bit later in chapter five, he says something very interesting. In fact, this is the last passage we'll look at. Let's go there, First Peter chapter five. I mentioned already, but I wanna see you and leave you with this key for your own walk with Jesus. So you'll leave here thinking about this. First Peter chapter five, verse nine. I've already quoted it, but I want you to look at it. Verse eight and nine. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So you're supposed to be sober spirit, man, not getting high, not getting drunk. Be on the alert. He's trying to devour you. But we're kept by the power of God through faith, 1 Peter 1 and 5. Well, look at verse 9. But resist him firm in your what? Your faith. That's your part. You need to trust the Lord. Knowing that, now I love this, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Okay, listen. You get victory over Satan by standing firm in your faith, amen, and doing what Daniel did. What did Daniel do? Did he freak out when this happened? I can't believe this is going on. God, I can't believe you're letting me go through this trial. I can't believe I did all the things I've done for you. Now I've got to be thrown in the I can't believe it. And just whine and cry and pout and just deny God. No. He humbled himself and just said, Lord, I'm going to put my life in your hands. You're good. 
Back up one verse. Verse two verses. Right before verse eight and nine that we read, verse six and seven. Therefore what? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Amen? Cry out to God through your trials. Seek him and give thanks. What did it say Daniel did? He gave thanks three times a day in prayer. Amen? Be a person of thanksgiving when you're in the lion's den. And even before you get to the lion's den. Amen? And then keep one other thing in mind. Look at the verse afterwards, after verses 8 and 9, verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, went through your trial, taken your lumps, went through your hard times, the God of all grace, he's the God of all grace, he's full of grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Look at the eternal picture. Will himself what? Perfect. Perfect. Confirm. Strengthen. And what? Establish you. Tim, be dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want to encourage you this Thanksgiving to put your hands in the hand of the one who cannot fail. The one who was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The one was, who was with Daniel in the lion's den. The one who said he's with us always even at the end of the age. And things get heat up. And they're heating up right now, are they not? As things heat up, he is faithful. Just trust him and don't freak out. Amen. And humble yourself and allow him to lift you up in due time. And allow him to do his perfect work to perfect you, to confirm you, to strengthen you, to establish you forever. Amen? We got a good deal. And at the end, you'll be like, man, Lord, maybe you should let me go through more trials. Instead of like, Lord, don't let me go through trials. Trust that he will get you through your trials one way or another. Amen? Praise God? All right. Can we all please stand?